0: Last week we answered the question, what is man? And we determined through Genesis 1-3 through that every human being is created, sacred, by the hand of God, in the image of God, for the glory of God. And therefore, every human has infinite worth and value. And as bearers of God's image, God created us with moral agency. We have the freedom to choose whether we're going to... Believe and follow God and love and worship Him or reject Him and elevate ourselves as gods, basically. And, and you know, when you read the Bible, we, we, we couldn't even make it through three chapters into the story without ruining everything. And Adam and Eve, when they committed that first sin to, to reject God and to determine what's right and wrong for themselves, the world started to crumble. Creation began to unravel and we still see it today. Our bodies turn against us, nature turns against us, we turn against one another. And the Bible calls this sin, this rejection of God and His way to forge our own path. And the end result of that path is death. And, and, and if the Bible stopped there, we'd be hopeless and lost, wouldn't we? But the Bible doesn't stop there. And this didn't catch God by surprise. Even before creation, God had a plan. And we saw last week, right there in Genesis 3.15, God gave a promise that someday a warrior would come to crush the head of the serpent. That he would be a wounded warrior. Or as Isaiah described him, a suffering servant. He would come as a sacrificial lamb. And through His sacrifice, we can be reconciled with God. And that is God's plan of salvation. That is God's redemptive mission. That's what we call the gospel. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. What do we believe about salvation that Jesus saves? Now, as we look at the Baptist Faith and Message article on the doctrine of salvation. It's lengthy. We're going to break it up throughout the message and look at it piece by piece. But let's look together at the opening paragraph. Salvation involves the redemption of the whole man and is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by His own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, the Bible uses a lot of different analogies to describe our sinful condition and the salvation that God offers. It says that we are the dead who are made alive. It's as if we're being born again. It's like becoming new creations, as we heard in our New Testament reading. We are slaves to sin who are then set free. We defect from the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom of light. And all of these speak to this great reversal, this great exchange that happens whereby God takes from us our our unrighteous, filthy garments and He gives us new wardrobe to wear, robes of righteousness that allow us to stand in the presence of a holy God. Paul gives, I think, one of the clearest explanations of this plan of redemption, this plan of salvation, the gospel, and it's found in the book of Romans. And so turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. We're going to see the truth that Jesus alone saves and He saves all who come to Him in repentance and faith. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. These two verses are really an introduction to the first four chapters. Paul writes, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel." Because it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the first truth I want us to look at as we continue here is that we deserve God's wrath because we are unrighteous. We deserve God's wrath because we are unrighteous. Paul goes on in verse 18. We'll keep reading. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of Of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, forfeited animals and reptiles. God is the glorious, righteous Creator of the world and He has made Himself known to us. He has revealed to us through what He has made, who He is and what He has done. And therefore, wicked people are without excuse Humanity made in the image of God who knew God chose to exchange the glory of the immortal Creator for things that He has created. Look with me at verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. That is the essence of sin. The essence of sin is to exchange God's glory for our own glory. It's to worship the created rather than the creator. It's failing to glorify and thank God for who He is and what He has done. In sin, we turn from what is true to follow what is false. So Paul right there gives us such a comprehensive description of sin. And Paul continues throughout chapter 1 to describe how all humanity is guilty of this idolatry and sin. And therefore, God is righteous and just in bringing judgment on us. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Again in verse 26, for this reason God delivered them over. To disgraceful passions, their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Verse 28, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they would do what is not right. And mixed in with these verses are more descriptions of various ways that the creation, human beings have rebelled against their Creator. But I want you to notice those consequences. We saw it three times. God delivered them over. God gives people over to their sin. In other words, He allows us to suffer the natural consequences of the choices we make of trying to live our lives apart from our Creator. The source of life and love and truth and peace and wholeness. We exchange the truth for lies, the Creator for creation, natural desires for unnatural and paul says that lost in our sin we become confused about who we are where we come from why we're here and where we're going our minds are depraved our hearts are impure our bodies are degraded are degraded and look at verse 32 although they know god's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve what to die the ultimate consequence of our choice to rebel against our Creator is death. Now Paul is writing here to the Christians in Rome. And there were both Jewish background Christians and Gentile, non-Jewish background Christians there. And the Jewish people are looking around them at all this depravity. And you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, man, I'm glad I'm a Jew, not a Gentile. We have the Torah We're God's chosen people. We're not like these depraved Gentile idolaters out there, which is why Paul goes on in chapter 2 to explain our second point. We blaspheme God's name by breaking God's law. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are superior being instructed from the law, and if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth and the law, you then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now skip down to verse 28. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person who is a Jew is one who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Paul is telling his Jewish audience that they've got no room to boast. They're no better than the Gentiles. Because it's not just enough to have the law. You must then keep the law. And not just part of it, but all of it. And not just outwardly, but inwardly. It's not just enough to be circumcised in the flesh. He says you must be circumcised in your heart by the Spirit. Sin must be cut off from your life. And so this leads Paul to conclude in chapter 3 that everyone is guilty of sin. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So if the Torah is unable to save us and make us righteous, what can? If being a circumcised Jew doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven, what does? can we ever be made righteous or are we hopelessly lost in our sins? And that brings us to the crux of Paul's argument. Our third point, we are made righteous through saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's impossible for us, by our own efforts, what Paul just said, it's impossible for us to bridge this great canyon of sin that separates us from God. And listen, if there had been any other way For sinful people to be made right in the eyes of a holy God, Jesus would never have suffered what He did on the cross. The giver of life would never have tasted death. The sinless Son of God would never have become sin for us. There was no other way. And Paul goes on here in chapter 3 to help us understand how it is that we could be declared righteous before God. One of our big theological words for that is the word justified. When you hear the word justified, think about it like this. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. And it's more than just being pardoned for our sins. It's a full acquittal. It's as if we never Sinned. We are declared righteous before God. So Paul goes on in Romans 3 to describe how we are first made righteous apart from the law. Look at verses 20 and 21. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. So the law is incapable of making anyone righteous because its purpose is to point out our sin. In Romans 7.13, Paul goes on to say that the law was given in order that sin might be recognized as sin and sinful beyond measure. In other words, the law is meant to point out how serious our sinful condition is. It's the diagnosis. It's not the cure. It cannot make us righteous. If you keep trusting in the works of the law, thinking that behaving makes you righteous, you're wrong. The gospel tells us that believing makes us righteous, not behaving. The point of the law is that we can never earn our way to heaven by being religious enough or good enough because we can never do enough good works in the eyes of an infinitely holy God to make up for our sin. We are made righteous apart from the law. Paul goes on to say we are made righteous through faith in Christ. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So salvation, again, it's not a reward that we earn. The gospel says righteousness is a gift that can only be received through faith. We are made righteous right in God's sight when our faith and trust is firmly placed in Jesus Christ. And the implication of this, Paul says, is is huge in that if, if everyone is guilty of sin, right? If all have sinned, then all can be saved, right? Salvation is available to everyone because all of us, every one of us are sinners, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. In Romans 10, 13, Paul says, "...for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." So listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And He invites you to step away from a life of sin and into His righteousness and grace. We are saved apart from the law through faith in Christ. And Paul then says that we are made righteous by God's grace. Look at verse 24. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now listen, none of us in this room, none of us listening online or on the radio, none of us deserve the love of God. We're all unworthy sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. Grace is is something we can only receive as a true gift. Jesus purchased your salvation on the cross. He paid the price you and I owe for our sins. In Romans 6.23, Paul tells, tells us, we looked at this last week, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is the result of sin? Death. How do we receive this death? We earn it. We earn death. Death is the wages. It's the payment that we deserve because of our sins. So someday, to every one of us, someday payday comes. And when it comes, you know what that check is written out to us? You know what the amount is? Death. To every one of us. What does God make available to us instead of death? Life. He gives us life. And how do we receive that life? His grace. It's a gift. It's a gift that we freely receive. We don't earn it. We receive it. Sin earns us death. But by faith in Christ, in God's grace, we receive life. And we can't earn that life because our works are tainted by sin. Listen, our works will only always ever earn us death. Because they are so tainted by our sin. Life only comes as a gift. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're not even saved by our faith. We're saved by God's grace through our faith. Now, Adrian Rogers, the, the legendary pastor, of Bellevue Baptist Church back in the day, he explained this relationship between our faith and God's grace like this. And and it's a beautiful illustration. He said, think of grace as God's hand of love reaching down to you, saying, I love you. I want to save you. And it's a nail-pierced hand because Jesus paid the price for our sin. Now think of our sin-stained hand of faith reaching up, saying, God... I need you. I believe in you. And Adrian Rogers said that when our hand of faith is placed in God's hand of grace, that's salvation. And you know who initiates that? Who reaches His hand first is God. God reaches His hand of grace down to us first. We respond by placing our hand of faith in His. And the beauty of that grace is that God gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us what we could never earn. And it's all because of His love. And listen, that love gift of grace was not cheap. It may be free to you and me, but it was not cheap. And so Paul tells us next, we are made righteous at a great cost. At a great cost. Look back at verse 24. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as the mercy seat by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. So according to the Mosaic Law, back in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the Jewish high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. He would take the blood of a spotless animal that had been sacrificed. He would place that blood on the mercy seat, on the lid over the Ark of the Covenant. And when God looked down into that ark where there was the broken Ten Commandments, He no longer saw us breaking His law. He saw the blood of that animal and our sins were covered. Their sins were covered. But this was temporary. This wasn't a permanent solution. Because the blood of all those countless lambs and bulls were never enough to satisfy and pay the penalty for our sins. Think of it as sort of like charging sins on a spiritual credit card. The priest would sacrifice the animal on the altar. The sins of the people would be credited to a future bill that someday Jesus Christ would pay. It's like a spiritual credit card. But sin can't just be kicked down the road. It has to be paid for. The law tells us it has to be paid for by the shedding of blood. So either we pay for our sins by our own death and eternal separation of God, or someone else pays for our sins with their life. Can you imagine how the credit card bill grew through the centuries and millennia? Trillions of sins committed, millions of animals sacrificed. Think about the enormity of the death that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross. For you, for me, He paid the debt of sins past, present, and future, including yours and mine. That is the high cost of grace and of justice. Because Paul goes on to tell us that we are made righteous in perfect justice. Look back there at the end of verse 25. He says, because in His restraint God passed over the sins previously committed, God presented Him, Jesus, to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, When you look back up there in verse 25, the beginning of verse 25, the Christian Standard Bible says God presented Him as the mercy seat. Remember, that's the cover on the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was placed. The NIV says God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Some translations use the word propitiation. A propitiation is a sacrifice that satisfies. When something is propitiated, it's atoned for, meaning a debt has been paid. It has been satisfied. And what had to be satisfied? The wrath and justice of a holy God on sinful humanity. You think about it in the way the cross wasn't even primarily for or about us, but God. Right? The the blood of those animals, that symbolic... Credit, payment, those sacrifices, they didn't take care of sin in a lasting way. And it's because of God's holy justice, His wrath against sin, that Jesus Christ died on the cross and made that full and final payment for sin for you and for me and for all who put their trust in Him. Jesus took our place. He paid our price. Now the big theological phrase for that is penal substitutionary atonement. That's a mouthful. Penal means God, Jesus, paid our penalty. He paid our price. Substitutionary, because He took our place on the cross. He suffered the wrath and the death that you and I deserve. And atonement, because it was by His death that our forgiveness was purchased, our righteousness achieved. In short, Jesus took our punishment, suffered our penalty, and satisfied the justice of God for our sinful Rebellion. Listen, grace is freely given to sinners only because God's justice was satisfied by Jesus paying for our sins. As the Jews and the Romans poured out all of their hatred and all of, all of that wrath upon Jesus in the crucifixion, God's wrath against our sins was poured out on Jesus in our place. Jesus absorbed all of your sin all of your pain, all of your suffering and shame so we could receive all of the grace, love, and righteousness of God. Whereas Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus changed places with us. He absorbed the curse that you and I deserve. John Stott summed up Paul's train of thought here like this. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Right? That's great. The the essence of sin, we substitute. We put ourselves on the throne. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Amen? Now, I know this is a lot of deep truth to take in, and I heard it simplified once like this. The cross really is about three words. God's mercy deferred payment for sin. For all those generations before, God's mercy was deferring payment for sin. But God's justice demanded payment for sin. And on the cross of Christ, God's grace delivered payment for our sin. That's all how God provides salvation. That's salvation from the heavenly perspective. But I very briefly, as we wrap up, the Baptist faith and message also describes salvation from our perspective. How we experience salvation. So very quickly, first, we experience regeneration. We're saved to a new life. The Baptist faith and message reads, regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It's a change of heart. Wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, begins to draw you in faith toward Jesus, you make the choice to put your faith and trust in what Jesus has already done, and you're saved. You're immediately born again. You're made new. You become a child of God. And the Baptist Faith message goes on to define what repentance means. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. I like to say we turn from sin, we put our trust in Jesus. Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment of the entire personality, your whole person, to Him as Lord and Savior. And the moment that happens, you're made new. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We heard our New Testament reading. Paul said that's like we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's the life-changing work of the Spirit in you at the moment of your salvation. But then the second thing is justification. We are saved from sin's penalty. Fast Faith message goes on to say justification is God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of His righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings the believer into a relationship of peace and favor with God. And we spent some time talking about that. The third thing then is sanctification. We are saved from sin's power. So when we're justified, we're saved from sin's penalty. In that moment, you will not suffer eternal separation from God. In that moment of salvation, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and your eternity in heaven is secure. But then there's sanctification where you are being saved from sin's power. The Baptist faith and message says, Sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration by which the believer is set apart for God's purposes and is enabled to progress toward moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in Him. Growth in grace should continue throughout regeneration in the person's life. Now, we don't believe, as some denominations do, that the moment you're saved, you become a moral and spiritual perfect person. We don't believe that. We believe that sanctification is the process by which we move away from sin and toward holiness, toward spiritual maturity and growth in the fullness of Christ, and it's a lifelong process as we experience more and more of God's power and grace at work in our life. Paul said it this way in Philippians 1.6. He said, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Jesus." Is not complete yet. He's carrying us along in this process of being made more and more like Jesus until that day of completion. So you can think about sanctifi- about justification is how you were saved in the past, I can say that I was saved as a seven-year-old from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is our salvation happening continuously in the present. Every moment of my life I am being sanctified as the Holy Spirit is helping me bear the fruit of Christ's character. And then finally, there is that completion. Number four, glorification, when we will be saved from sin's presence. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. We'll someday be saved even from the presence of sin. The Baptist faith and message says glorification is the culmination of salvation and is the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. And we'll focus a whole sermon on that day when Christ returns. But someday, the day of Christ Jesus, there in Philippians 1.6, that salvation will reach its completion when we will receive bodies that will not know death or suffering or pain. We will live in the new heaven and the new earth where there is no sin, no fear, no hatred, no bitterness, no anger, no war. Amen? 1 John 3 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. You've heard the Gospel this morning. God loves you just as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. He loves you too much to leave you in your sin destined for eternal separation from Him. Rather, God, who is rich in grace and mercy, has made a way for you to be reconciled to Him, to be made right with Him. To experience forgiveness and be declared righteous in His sight. And it's through the cross of Jesus. And all you need to do is recognize your sin. Recognize your need for a Savior. Recognize that you were lost following your own path. And turn from that and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. And it's a gift that's available freely to everyone. Have you received that gift? Are you now one of God's children? You can be today. Today you can experience that regeneration, that new fresh start, a new life in Christ. Let God's grace and mercy justify you. Make it as if you had never sinned and receive His abiding presence. Let His Spirit be at work in your life. I'm going to stand down here at the front in just a moment. Maybe today you need to come and repent of your sin, turn away from it in genuine sorrow, and trust in Jesus Christ. forgiveness. I invite you to do that today. Maybe you've already done that, but you've never made it public. You've never professed that faith through believer's baptism. I invite you to come now to do that today. Maybe you want to come and rededicate your life at this altar or unite with this church family. Whatever God is laying on your heart, whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, do not quench the Spirit, but obey it. Obey what He tells you today. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy, which is so rich toward us. We thank You, Lord, for deferring the payment of sin, even upon each of us, Lord. And giving every person here within the sound of my voice, and anybody listening online or on the radio, God, You are giving them an opportunity to turn from sin and trust in You. You are offering them this free gift of salvation, if they will but take it, receive it, and be made new. And I pray that someone would do that today, Lord. Father, we pray that Your Spirit would speak to our hearts, move in our lives, and draw us ever closer to You. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.